Welcome to the Golf Exposed Podcast. It is non-stop trash stuff. I'm supposed to be pros here. I would be barefooted, drunk, playing golf. Golf Exposed Podcast. But it wasn't talked about like it is now. We got our kicked. Where we give you the good, the bad, and the truth about golf business, betting, and stories. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the inaugural edition of the Golf Exposed Podcast. My name is Jordan Michael Colson, and I am joined by our co-host, John Brown. John is the CEO of Brown Golf Management. Brown Golf Management boasts a 26 golf course portfolio in eight different states. And John is also the CEO of a revolutionary online booking platform, Golfback, that promotes direct tee time booking. In fall of 2020... In Golf Inc. Magazine, John was featured as an up-and-coming superstar in a featured article, and he joins us on the show for our inaugural episode. John, welcome to the program. Oh, I am excited. I am super excited to get started here. Jordan, it's nice to have you here. I think I should introduce you. What do you think? I think as much shine time as I can get is always welcome. <laughs> well, you're Jordan Michael Colson, I believe, right? And you're an experienced podcast host and producer who's helped me along on this journey. Uh, SAG-affiliated actor since 2004, digital media marketing manager for two companies currently, and uh, a novice golfer, I believe, correct? Novice at best. You're putting it very, very politely. Uh Absolutely a novice at best. I do not boast your experience and vast array of knowledge in the industry, but that's kind of what's cool about this show is we have your experience, me as a novice, sort of a layman, if you will, so we can kind of run the full gamut of uh, people who enjoy golf casually and who enjoy it as a profession. So I think it's going to be a really nice mix, and it's going to allow people to see the game from so many different angles. Well, let's tell everybody what Golf Exposed is about. What, what are we going to be talking about, Jordan? Golf Exposed is going to be the good, the bad, but always the truth, the real deal, the down and dirty, the nitty gritty of golf business, golf betting, and just some of the best stories that you hear on and off the course that have to do with the game. And I'm super excited to get into this podcast with you, Jordan. I think our goal is first, let's make it fun, entertaining. There's some other golf business podcasts out there that they take a little bit more of a serious approach. We're going to have a little serious, we're going to have some betting, and then we're going to have some great stories and some fun. So what do you say? You ready to dive into this? Yeah, let's dive in. We're going to do a deep dive into some of the golf business news that came out. Now, just this month, one of the biggest news stories that broke was Troon Golf. Troon, anyone who's listening to this has probably at least heard the name. Troon is a force in the golf industry. They have acquired Indigo Golf. So, John, one thing I didn't list in your accolades at the beginning, um, you have a professional history with Troon. Um, So what was your initial reaction whenever this news broke? This was, uh, this was big news. Uh, Troon has been you know, in an acquisition mode uh, over the past few years. They've acquired uh, other golf management companies such as Honors Golf, OB Sports, Green Golf Partners, and now Indigo, which Indigo is the former Billy Casper. I mean, this is really large industry news. Troon was the largest uh, prior to this acquisition, and you know, Billy Casper uh, Indigo was probably about third or fourth as far as size, and they're acquiring that portfolio. It's going to push Troon over 600 clubs. The next closest uh, to them is probably Club Corp, about 200 clubs, and then I think Kepper Sports is right about 130. So you know, you can just tell the massiveness of their size. Little surprised at you know the strategy related to maintaining the brands of these other companies they're buying, and, and frankly, their corporate offices. Um, I'm sure they see synergies there. I'm sure there's 
value and consolidation and procurement to some degree, but I haven't seen them quite go down that path yet. Big news though, absolutely. So can you talk, can you shed a little bit of light on your time at Troon? I mean, how, what was it like going from a company that was so reputable in your industry to then sort of running your own show? Troon was a great company to work for. They gave me a strong foundation of golf operations, other elements of just on-site operations in totality. You know, I was a membership director, a sales director, a golf group sales manager for seven years before we started Brown Golf in January of 2011. And it was a bit scary going from, you know, a large conglomerate such as Troon to a home office with a business plan. But um, sometimes you got to take that leap of faith. We did, I did, my brother, my father and I, and it's been a very rewarding process. You know, Troon was a luxury brand in golf management. They were with high-end resorts. They were tied to some of the premium clubs in the country. And I think with, you know, this procurement strategy of these other companies, they are diversifying that to some degree. Okay, so here comes my first dumb question of our podcast. High and tight, down the pike. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe it's not a dumb question. I don't know. But in, layman, in layman's terms, put it so I can understand. What is the difference? Is there a difference between a golf management company, such as what we're talking about now? I believe that's what they specialize in, to a course owner? Because it's not necessarily one and the same. I think that's a great question. So a golf course owner is obviously the owner of the land of the golf course, but they own the business operations of the golf course as well, the financial performance of the golf course. Golf course owners will seek out third-party management entities to hire for their professional services to come in and run day-to-day operations. They are paying for those services in various ways. And uh, some are very transparent, some not so transparent. But ultimately, the bottom line performance of the club is going to fall on the golf course owner. So there is a little bit of a difference in you know what both sides may be trying to achieve, right? The golf course owner would like solid operation, one that doesn't give them headaches but does have some financial performance. And the management company obviously is providing professional services uh, through a source of fees, and obviously you know they want to generate as many fees as they can while providing value to the golf course owner. So is it your professional opinion that all course owners should work with a course management company of some sort? I believe that there are many uh, course owners that seeking out a management company is in their best interest because it is a complex uh, business with you know a lot of nuances and you, you're running a lot of different types of business in a golf course. You know, you're running a retail business, you're running agronomy, you're trying to move tee times, golf operations, human resources, accounting. So it can be complicated. I do think there is a bit of a minefield to navigate for golf course owners when evaluating third-party management companies. You need to make sure you're hiring one that protects your bottom line the way uh, that you would if you were there day in and day out. Is there any danger of a monopoly in the industry when a company that big acquires another company also very large in scale? I don't think there's there's danger right now in the third-party management world. I do think there's danger in the online tea time world, which I know is on our list, which, you know, in 2019, um, Golf Now, the largest online tea time distribution company purchased Easy Links, uh, which runs teeoff.com, which was the second largest. So that aggregation, I think, might create somewhat of a monopoly effect. Um, but I don't think in the third-party management world, I do think that you know the larger you get, the stronger you get, the more uh, maybe you don't have to be quite as flexible on certain parameters of what you are or aren't willing to offer. Okay, so you mentioned about online tea time, and we have online tea times here in the news. And we'll talk about golf back in a moment here. 
But the PGA is also throwing their hat into the ring, putting their fingers in the pot of the online tea time world. So how does that strike you, first of all, business-wise, and what was your personal reaction? Well, I alluded to you know the purchase of uh, Easy Links by Golf Now, which aggregated those two online tea time distribution companies. Um, there is a, a third one out there called Supreme Golf, uh, which would... Uh, scan the different available inventories on Golf Now and TeeOff.com and course websites and provide an aggregate platform for booking tee times. Supreme Golf has partnered with the PGA of America, and their goal is to provide uh, a marketplace for golf course owners to list inventory and sell tee times. So they are going to be listing, I think it's going to be called PGATeeTimes.com or something along those lines, their aggregate platform using the Supreme Golf software. Do I think it's a great decision for a golf course owner to list their inventory with the PGA Tour marketplace? I do not. And the reason being, uh, you know, you're sending your customer into a third-party channel and you're paying a margin to do so, meaning a commission to do so, or potentially a monthly marketing fee to do so. And I just believe in direct tee time booking. So, you know, for me, you know, you can put Golf now, teeoff.com, Supreme Golf, and the PGA Tour Marketplace into a bucket, which is an aggregation bucket where they aggregate tee times and they sell those tee times. But every time somebody goes to those platforms, they are leaving a direct channel, meaning your golf course website, potentially to book a tee time. And I just think that's that opportunity cost is far too much. So help me understand why the online tee time world was set up this way in the first place. Cause if I want to book a ball pit at monkey Joe's or a, or a sky zone, I want to jump on a trampoline. I would never, there wouldn't be a third party trampoline or ball pit rental place <laughs> that I'm redirected to and no business would set it up that way. So do you have any idea why it was set up that way in the first place? Uh, I think I have a pretty good understanding why it's the evolution of the third party tea time industry. And, uh, you know, when golf now first came on the scene, they were aggregating tea times and selling tea times and they have morphed over time to offer, you know, websites and point of sale services. And it was really done for one reason is they realized that, you know, if they could get clubs into a barter slash trade tea time relationship, there was a lot of value for these third party aggregators to list those tea times on their websites and sell them and collect a hundred percent of the revenue. So over time, it's just the evolution of how, you know, our industry has been impacted because we as site operators, you know, frankly allowed it. And, you know, that's why we set out on a path of building golf back and golf back is a solution which focuses on offering an online booking engine that golf course owners place on their website where they retain, you know, access to all the data they retain their lowest price. They collect 100% of the green and card fee revenues. And, uh, you know, it's a better solution. It's a direct booking solution. So um, I think we should probably mention, since this is our first podcast, that, you know, we will be introducing, you know, uh, business elements of Brown Golf and Golf Back uh, into this podcast. And we want to be transparent, but it's our solution. We feel like it's the right solution. And let's just clarify, I just booked my girlfriend's eight-year-old party. He's, he's, he's turning nine at Monkey Joe's. I don't spend a lot of time booking things for myself there. <laughs> but in addition to everything you said, Golfback has other features that no one else has even thought of yet. 
We do. And, and the reason we do is because it was built from a position of, I want to impact positively my golf course cash flow while giving my customer a great experience, right? And I can say that we, as a golf course owner and operator who owns the cash flow, setting out on this path, I think we've approached it in a very different mindset than any other technology company that's simply providing services to the industry. So the features that we've built into Golfback are features that we felt would protect our bottom line and give a great customer experience. So when I talk about customer experience, I mean, we've built in the ability for daily steals on golf course booking engine websites where the golf course can control if they want to offer a discount, but then they retain 100% of that revenue. We have an instant rewards platform, which gives an automatic instant gratification reward to a customer who books a tee time online so that they can go to the club and actually get additional value somewhere else. The data collecting abilities far surpasses anything in the marketplace. You get everything from customer information to their activity of interaction with your website, with your email tools, to their playing history, to their golf preferences, you know, what golf ball they play. I mean, it's it's really an intelligent tool that uh, learns a lot about the customer so that we can then market uh, intelligently to our customer and they are interested in what we're sending them. And you can definitely check that out at golfbacksolutions.com. And it's very easy to use. I've, I've been on the platform and looked at it, but somebody may be hearing all those things and say, oh my gosh, I can never implement this on the back end of my site, but your team handles all that. Absolutely. And it's, it's, an, it's a process that, it's a very inclusive process. We want the site level operators uh, opinions. They understand their customer the best, but the tools are there. And when they're implemented, I mean, they can make a big difference. And I'm really excited about some of the case studies that'll be coming out in the future where we've implemented our tech. And uh, frankly, we've got a couple of clubs outside of the Brown Golf Network uh, that have used it. And they're going to be pioneers in, in really communicating what they've seen as a positive. So I'm excited about uh, this platform. I think it's going to be a, a game changer in the industry. Some of the best, most relatable things that ever happened in a golf course. Everybody has an awesome story. Everybody has uh, a story about how they had their, their greatest monumental feat of all time, their longest drive, their best putt. Um, everyone also has a story where they played horrible that day. There's a million moments of magic. And I'm sure you have so many in so many years. And golf goes back through the lineage of your family. So we want to invite people to share their stories with us on the show so we can share them and live vicariously through them and relate to people. But since this is the first episode, um, do you have any stories that stand out in your mind? I'm sure you have a plethora, but what's one or two that um, really resonate? Ooh, putting me on the spot here. Well, okay. Let me think through this just a minute. I think the goal of, of the way we want to end this podcast, uh, you know, throughout the time of doing it in the future, right, is that we want to have some great guests on and everybody's got a great story. So we can't wait to hear some of those stories. So start to think about those, those personal stories that either touch golf or was on a golf course or during a match or whatever it may be. And we look forward to hearing them in the future. You know, a personal story for me, I'm going to go, I've got to go to a story about my brother, Todd and I, uh, you know, 
Todd's two years younger than me. Unfortunately, he's a little better golfer than me, and uh, he's taller than me. And there's just a lot of things that growing up, he kind of he kind of caught me, passed me. So, but I always had the big brother thing on him a little bit, right? So this story is you had the work ethic too. He just had the talent of everything. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> when you know when when someone has the talent, you could tell when they're not working. <laughs> so. he, he was Christian Leitner to your Woja house. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So this story takes place. We're back in college. Um, we're playing a match, you know, a fairly intense match. And, uh, I was competing. So, you know, I'm about a 4.5 handicap today, uh, 38 years old. So this was, you know, back in college, I was probably about a two back then. He's probably about a scratch or a plus one. Then we we're playing at a golf course called Melrose golf course, which is, if you know where Harbor town is on Hilton head, it sits on the, uh, the, the Calabogie sound, which the 18th hole is right on the Calabogie sound. If you look straight across, you'll look at an Island called the Fusky Island on Defusky Island sits Melrose. And we're playing, we're on the, uh, we're on the 18th tee box. Uh, I'm playing extremely well for myself. I'm one under par. My brother Todd is three under par, unfortunately. So I'm playing my best and I'm not even beating him. Right. So we both hit our drives out there and he, you know, hits it about 50 yards past me. So we get up there and there's, uh, a group on the green, but nobody in the layup area. I hit a seven iron up there and I'm hundred yards out, hit my third shot into this par five. My brother proceeds to walk down onto a little beach right beside the Calabogie sound, his ball sitting up really nice. And he looks at his ball and he sort of looks at me and it wasn't just enough that he beat me by one or two. He wanted to beat me by three, four or five. So he pulls out his five wood. He's sitting there with his five wood, right? So I'm kind of like, come on, man, just grab an eight iron, nine iron, hit it out in the fairway. Let's go. Right. So he's leaning on his five wood and we're talking, we're talking. The people on the green are, are taking forever out of nowhere. The Calabogie sound changes and a big wave comes up and grabs his ball and takes it out to the Calabogie sound, which was the best thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so he proceeds to tell me, no, no, that, that doesn't count. He's trying to drop a golf ball. Well, me being the big brother and following the rules of golf. Nope. He had to go back to the tee. I ended up oh hitting the ball on the green, two putting, making par. He ends up making a, a triple bogey and I ended up beating him by a shot. And so both beating him the way the golf ball was lost, sort of his smugness and that he could just drop another ball down. <laughs> that all made just, it was just a great, uh, a great story on a, on the golf course for me. I don't know if he would tell it the same, but, um, so I don't know what's the moral of the lesson, you know, don't wait on a beach with your five wood to hit a par five and two when you're winning by two. That's the moral I would say, <laughs> but that's my story. So we call that the match, but, uh, it actually leads leads me into kind of one one thing that uh I'd like to mention is you know we called that the match and and really kind of a book I read years later called the match is something that you know everybody if you want great a great golf story read the book the match uh it's actually about you know two amateurs one's name was Harvey Ward the other's Ken Venturi a lot of people know him playing a match at, at a wonderful golf course Cypress Point my favorite golf course I've ever played uh against Ben Hogan and Byron Nelson the book is full of great stories and you know we called my match the match that wasn't the match this book outlines what the match was and just great stories great connections they played great and uh you know a short read but a great read and actually harvey ward the one amateur in the book was actually the first head golf professional at foxfire resort in piners which is one of our brown golf facilities so uh the story is also a little bit near and dear 
That's awesome. What if I told you Todd got the last laugh because he actually went home with one of the cocktail waitresses? <laughs> well, well, that wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So here's the deal. We want you to share your stories with us. Um, if you're comfortable with us sharing them on the show, we'd love to. So, John, that was a great first episode. I look forward to doing this in the future. Uh, learned a lot. And uh, thank you for providing the platform. Thank you.